I'm Kate Daniels. Wendy Sanford is a founding author of Our Bodies, Ourselves, the best-selling classic on women's health and sexuality. Today, Wendy joins us to talk about her latest book, These Walls Between Us, a memoir of friendship across race and class. The book and Wendy are here for us at the perfect time. Wendy Sanford, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Good morning, Kate. I'm really happy to be talking with you. And I so appreciate that we have this opportunity because you have written this most wonderful book, These Walls Between Us, giving us uh, such a great opportunity to have a conversation about this subject, about relationships, actually it's many subjects, and, and about race and about uh, opinions and attitudes and experiences and all, all of this comes together and what we do about it so that we work to build awareness and create what I hope will be a better and a more peaceful world. So thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's where, you know, I see us going. And with your writing this book, These Walls Between Us, and, and about your experiences of growing up in a privileged household, in a white privileged household, uh, of what that meant of eventually, you know, the the growth it takes to waking up. But writing about it is so important because it gives us the opportunity to, to think about where it touches us, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And um, I, one of my guidelines or my uh, beacons for for exactly what you're talking about is um, uh, African American minister Reverend James Lawson, who was very involved in the civil rights movement back in the day. Um, and he he wrote this, and I just it's my guideline. He wrote, unless the white community breaks its silence and determines that race is not a peripheral issue but an issue central to the things that we say are valuable to America. The finest movement in the world will not cause racism to cease. So I really heard that invitation from Reverend Lawson to break the silence in my own life about uh, both a long, a long friendship I've had with a, a black woman and the many mistakes I made in it because of my ignorance, because of the attitudes I grew up learning and taking in as a, as a white person. Uh, it was time to break that silence. And actually, it took 30 years to do it <laughs> because it kept not quite being, you know, it kept not being ready. And our our culture, uh, our society kept learning more things like about white privilege, like about white supremacy, like about Black Lives Matter. And so each time there was a, a new wave of important learning, I needed to go back to the drawing board with the book. So it's it's finally out. <laughs> Yay, hurrah! That <laughs> that it is, and and so th- that explains to breaking the silence that yes, there's always that uh, new awareness, and and probably I'm sure you would agree, Wendy. You will still keep learning and growing, and and you would go back and say, oh well, we would write it in this way, because exactly, of, right? yeah, yep. But I think what that tells us is just start wherever you are. 
because that's mm-hmm. just make the decision to begin and then it unfolds and you learn because there's so much to actually go back and learn and learn as we go forward. Exactly. And with memoir, what's a great thing about memoir to me now, now that it's done is that um, you, you describe an event if, you know, earlier on in your life and make it as vivid as possible and the people you love and really render them as accurately as you can. And then you come back to it with your current awareness and notice things that you certainly didn't notice back then and try to lift those up and learn from them. And certainly, as as the book shares, it being a memoir, you start uh, as a child. So there's such a difference, of course, how we look at the world and act in the world when we're a child versus when we are older and hopefully a little more aware. So yeah. it, it is great to be able to, though, go back and see, oh, that's how I was. And, and so those young years were because of where you grew up, and there was the help, a young black woman who came to work for your family. Yes, yes. And she was 15 going on 16 at the time. She came to work as a summer helper to my mother. I mean, that's kind of what we called her. In fact, she was a domestic worker. You know, she did all the hard work in the family so we could enjoy our vacation. And she ended up uh, coming back almost every summer uh, for a few, a week or two, week or four, um, for really several decades, and uh, to supplement her income in her other work in corrections. And so she and I had a chance to move past those first, those first years of being friendly, but my being so ignorant of her life and her having to know about my life because that was part of her job. So there were, it was really an imbalance for a long time, and we started to to uh, remedy that, but not until we were really in our early 40s, late 30s. But yet the, well, of course, she came, kept coming back to your family, so the the connection at least did remain in that way, and that you were then able to... You matured and learned and had so yeah. many awarenesses and growing in your own life that it that too helped to open your eyes and open your heart to the new experience. That's very true. And people have asked, you know, I went on a whole campaign starting in my 30s, and it's really not over, to read everything. Almost everything I read is by people of color, mm-hmm. uh, particularly African-American people. And um, that was... People have asked, well, was that because of your friendship with Mary? And or was the friendship with Mary because you were doing all this studying? Or or was there another reason for the studying? And there were other reasons. But I know that caring for Mary and coming to love her did really motivate my deep search to find out more about the life she grew up in so that I didn't have to ask her everything. You know, we, we have a lot of white people. Uh, the temptation is to, is to choose your one or two friends of color and uh, pump them for what it's like to grow up in a racist society. And they need their energy for something else. They don't need mm-hmm. to be teaching us. So we kind of have to learn on our own and help each other learn as white people. And there's so many good books 
for instance, by African-American writers who want you to learn from them rather than bugging our friends to uh, spend their precious energy teaching us. And I couldn't underscore that more. And so with your book, These Walls Between Us, you and Mary, though, because of your friendship, did connect in the writing of it so that her voice is here, too. I'm happy to say yes. And one of the reasons it took 30 years, or it's good that it took 30 years, is that technology changed. So we started off walking together on the beach at night because she really wasn't allowed on that exclusive white people's beach in the daytime, except if she was serving somebody. So we started walking at night in the evening. Then we'd talk on the phone. We'd write letters. We'd visit each other's homes as time went on. Then there was email. I have my early emails from her from like 20 years ago. And finally, there was texting. And texting is so great because Mary says, ask me anything you want to know, and I'll text it back to you. Mm -hmm. And so I ask all the questions I have, and she texts back, you know, moments and stories and opinions. And so many more of her thoughts are in the book now than they were like 20 years ago because of technology and because we lived long enough to do this. Because we're both, she's 81, I'm 77. So we did this over 65 years. So technology really has some good benefits to it. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Yep. Yes. The texting would have made all the difference in Mary's voice coming through in this book. And how invaluable that is, because it certainly gives just that extra insight into how you saw things, but how she was then feeling at the time. And, you know, it just really grabs the heart. I think is the only way to say that is to things that she went through and how she felt and how we might look at it in one way. And and you know what that does to me, actually, Wendy, Mm. is make me aware of how I express then some of that privilege is just having an attitude that I don't even realize exists, right? Exactly. And as I went back to some of those scenes, I thought, oh, my heavens, look at my attitude. Sometimes it was ignorance. It's like, uh, as I said, Mary needed to study my life. My training as a young white girl was, uh, you know, in an affluent white family, was that um, uh, African-American people were just of less value and didn't merit my full attention whereas Mary had to give her full attention to me as being in her employer's family, even though we were only three and a half years apart. So, um, there it, so there's the, the ignorance that comes that I realized there's the attitude of superiority. There's, there, there was, you know, I, I got married and Mary came to help my mother for a couple of weeks, uh, for my wedding. And, um, we did not invite her to the wedding. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's so interesting when you've participated in something that is really a harmful thing to have participated in. So often you just forget it as a way not to face it. Mm-hmm. So for years, I thought Mary had come to my wedding. And I even pictured where she sat in the reception and what she was wearing. Well, she was not even there. 
So that's, that's, that, that fits what you're talking about, a change of perception, uh, that we open our eyes to things we didn't see, we didn't notice, cruelties we may have been part of that we didn't even know, we didn't notice at the time. Right. And while we can forgive that, I think, to a degree, it doesn't mean we don't now learn and change and make amends by doing what we, right? Yes, because blaming ourselves is just another version of focusing on ourselves. Mm. You know, getting all into guilt and stuff like that. Really, it's just going forward. What can we do? What can I learn now? What can I, uh, what voices can I listen to that will, uh, that will teach me what I didn't know then and, uh, what I need to know in order to be a decent friend. Precisely, which is why you say what you read are is literature is, or materials by persons of color rather than just, and not that you can't read by also white authors. Oh, but yes, yeah. Yes. But but yeah. making it a point to seek out the the other writers because there's such a wealth of knowledge and information that we can get from this. Exactly. So exactly. so this was isn't that incredible? The decades it took to to write this book, and at this <laughs> point, I mean, the timing is is also really poignant. Uh, that we have your book then available with essentially these two voices coming through to help us to, again, have a look within ourselves and learn. Yes, Kate. I, I, I felt that what I could offer as a white person into this conversation was a, a willingness to be really candid about my own uh, shortcomings and mistakes, not in terms of blaming myself or, you know, uh, but just to, it's like, it's just pretty amazing some of the things I didn't know. Like when I, I kept telling Mary in our 40s and 50s, you're a workaholic. You, why do you work three jobs? Why don't you just drop one of those jobs? You're, you're not, um, you know, this isn't good for your health. And we've laughed about it since because she's, I said, how did you put up with that? And me? And she said, well, I knew you didn't know my life yet. Uh, she said, I had to work three jobs if I wanted to keep my own home, if I wanted to, uh, you know, in case the boiler went out, I didn't have savings. My family didn't have money to fall back on. Uh, I had to do those three jobs. And you were, you know, kindly thinking about my health, but you just didn't have a clue. And how did that make you feel? Uh, by then, I... I was really relieved that we were talking about it because mm. uh, this was well, this conversation happened just in the last few years. I, I was really relieved we were talking about it. I had just been reading really important work by Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, the African-American journalist and now novelist, uh, but he'd written a really important article called The Case for Rep- Reparations, and in it he talked about housing injustice. Um, there are other people who have been writing about it now, too. Um, but that, um, for instance, after World War II, when white GIs came back, the GI Bill allowed them to get uh, low-cost mortgages for, to own their own homes. 
And they've been able, those families have been able to build this into equity over several decades and they can send their kids to college. The black GIs who came back uh, didn't get to do that because of federal housing policies that allowed banks to discriminate against people who lived in neighborhoods that were considered inferior or or whatever they did. So it was called redlining. Mm -hmm. And as a result, African-American GIs didn't get to start building equity for their families. And now there's this immense wealth gap that was created in great part by a federal housing policy. So um, I didn't know that uh, until just recently. And so are like, you know, the last 10 years. And it's, it's a really important piece of information to understand where um, this, where Mary, uh, you know, how she came up, what, what was, um, you know, but people often say, well, black people are lazy. That's why they're, they live in poor neighborhoods. Well, no, it was federal housing policy, actually. So to look at the systemic reasons why, uh, she would have had a much harder time in life than I did. Uh, and this is, we're not talking about happiness. Or, or, you know, we're talking about systemic oppression. She's managed to create a really good life and um, uh, wonderful family uh, within that. I mean, uh, but, but the systemic oppression is just a grueling thing. Yes. And when we become aware of that, it's just so painful to think that we can have attitudes of saying things like, oh, they're just lazy, they're not working hard enough. When you look at what has gone on over the decades, the inequity that just really funneled it into being the way it is. Yes, and when you look at whose work built the whole wealth of this country, Mm. there was several centuries of enslaved black people doing work for nothing. Uh, that really built the wealth of this country. Uh, so that's also really humbling when you look at it as a white person now and start to reckon with that, not in terms of um, feeling guilty or I'm so bad or just in terms of, okay, what am I, what am I going to do now? What do I need to learn here? And I feel, Wendy, that these walls between us help us to learn from your experiences and really move forward in our own way. I wonder about... I'm delighted to hear that, Kate. I'm so happy to hear that. Oh, I I truly believe that. Then I have this other piece of how how do you think about this? I kind of have an idea, but how do you think about it in terms of people who just dig their heels in and say, nope, you know, it's just uh, not the way it it should be, or there just wasn't that, you know, they've rewritten history to be the way that they want to see it. Yes, yes. I like the people who are saying that teaching the real history of the United States makes white kids feel bad and we shouldn't do it. That kind of thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. You know, I knew that I couldn't reach, my story probably couldn't reach anyone who's in that whole thinking bubble. Mm. Uh, you know, we have a very segregated country, and so there are white people who think a certain way can just live with white friends and white community and white people in the stores and white people in their local government and white people in their kids' schools. We can really be 
so segregated. So it's very hard to get out of that bubble if you're in a group that thinks the way you were just saying. Uh, it's very hard. There's very little that invites you out of it. And I didn't. I don't have hopes that my book will reach someone in that bubble. But I think there are a lot of white people who, like you and me, are saying, "Okay, there's a lot that's wrong here, and I'm part of it. And I don't, you know, I just want to try to learn and do better. And I want to look at what's going on systemically and vote for the right projects. And it's well-intentioned white people, I think, are the um, the, the people I hope this book will be useful to. And, and I hope that black people who read it or come, you know, come across it uh, will find that it's accurate and trustworthy because it's not probably going to teach them anything mm. uh, about oppression. But um, as long as they find that I was both honest and accurate, I will be happy. Uh, uh, yes, and, and realizing for a black person that oh there there's hope there are some some white people who are really becoming more aware and growing and wanting to learn and and really bring more enlightenment mhm mhm through humility very often just coming coming humbly to what we have been taking in uh as truth that isn't and I guess then where I come from is feeling that, uh, adding to how you have just expressed it, Wendy, that I mm-hmm. I feel that maybe someone who's kind of just uh, dabbing their toe in the water will find the book and, and maybe share it. And in that way, kind of the energy, uh, the vibration will grow and, and move outward and upward. I love that. Yes, I hope that very much. And part of the book that we haven't mentioned is that I do talk about a lot of the key writers, African-American writers and thinkers who have been my teachers in print. And so some of those books people may not know about and may want to check out and have their own response to it. Exactly. Yes. The book is so great because you do have that, like a resource library that we can access Mm -hmm. and uh, not Mm -hmm. have to necessarily go create it ourselves. But Mm -hmm. yes, learn from that part of your experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like your vision. I like your vision for it. Thank you. (laughs) Your vision for all of us. Thank you. Well, for all of us, yes, that is... um, if if we don't have that kind of hope, if I don't, then uh, I don't like the the alternative. So I'm mm-hmm. going to hold yeah. to this, and and it's not just holding to it. I I have to be committed to learning and to growing and to sharing. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. another another part of your history is your uh, being a Quaker, having become a Quaker. That mm-hmm. definitely plays into. Uh, or factors into your life and into how you move forward and grow. That's really true. Um, Quakers really have this wonderful sense that there's that of God in everyone, or however you, if, if you don't, if the word God doesn't have meaning for you, there's that of uh, love and life and uh, the divine in everyone. And so... Um, uh, they do a lot of work for justice. They've also had their own, I mean, they were Quaker slave owners. Uh, 
or to Quaker owners of ships that, that transported people for enslavement. So it's not like we're, um, we've had to do some work to balance out the picture of the, of our past and, and our present. Um, but uh, Quakers are inspiring in that way. And the other way it's played in my life is that um, Quakers have this sense that a person can receive a leading from spirit, uh, just a kind of a nudge to do something that you may not think you had the ability to do, but that's important to be done. And I felt that way about this book over about 30 years, and I had a group that would pray with me about it, and I'd go to them and I'd say, I just can't do this book. I just have to stop. And they'd say, yeah, but what about your leading? And mm. I'd say, well, it isn't over. I, I, I don't, I'm not getting the signal that I'm supposed to stop. So I'd go back to it. And um, that, um, that helped me uh, go through some pretty difficult times when I just felt like the book wasn't ready yet, but I didn't know what to do. And then I would keep praying on it and keep working on it. So Quakers very intimately also played a role for me. And, oh, that is so beautiful, uh, how all of that just weaves together. I, it's it's mm-hmm. incredible, uh, and because you, you shared with us how it took decades to write, but putting mm-hmm. it in the context also of your spirituality, how— you were just listening to that guidance. It, it, it was meant to be the way it is. Right. And so, I mean, I was meant to wait to take 30 years yeah. so that some of the more recent uh, work, like about Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. uh, could that the book wouldn't be done before that could be in there a bit. It's like, I, you know, I have to see that it took how long it was meant to take. I'm just glad I lived long and that we both lived long enough. <laughs> Yes, because, and, ho- uh, <laughs> and, ho- and hopefully there are many more years because of the work that just needs to be done, even if it isn't a book, but, you know, mm-hmm. yes, the, that there is uh, that learning, the energy that both of you, that all of us bring to, to really working for a better world. Yes, and, and to have love be at the heart of it, which for uh, Mary and, and myself is really true. And we, you know, we were, I was saying with a friend the other day, Mary and I co-created our friendship in love and co-created this book in love, oh. which is a joy to report. And th- that is beautiful and just really captures the essence of it all as well, or adds more essence to it. Yes. And, you know, we, if, if we were a decade younger, the book would be different even more because there are ways that, that, that like with an oral historian, uh, maybe an African-American oral historian from Mary's section of the country, uh, could have spoken with her and there could be more stories from Mary and more perspectives from Mary that weren't just told through me mm. or interpreted through my uh, perspective. So that would have strengthened the book. Uh, but that's for the next generation, I guess. And who knows, or it's something new that comes up between the two of you and with others involved. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Maybe live so long. I'm I'm concerned because Mary's health is, um, you know, she's worked. There's uh, there's this fascinating research uh, 
that that has discovered that living with the stress of racism actually ages a person's body so that I'm a much younger 77 and Mary's an older 81 yes. because she has lived with the stress of racism all these decades. Mm. So when I, I know I keep saying if we live long enough and, uh, you know, you never know. And we have this, this deadly pandemic, uh, mm. but Mary's, She's vaccinated. She's, you know, taking care of herself. And um, hopefully she, she will live long enough for us to keep working on this in another way. See, from your lips to God's ear. Yes, I really <laughs> appreciate your wanting that for us. Well, we will just keep envisioning for the betterment of, of all uh, that something like that does transpire. Yeah, thank you. You're so welcome. And thank you. This has just been a, a most wonderful opportunity to bring more awareness, more light to just our lives. And in the vision of or in, in the actuality of this book, These Walls Between Us, Wendy, let us mention a website where people can get more information. And Oh, thank uh, you. I would love to do that. Um, I also will say there's a, the subtitle to the book. So it's These Walls Between Us, A Memoir of Friendship Across Race and Class, just because that gives a little more sense of um, uh, what it's about. And um, I have a website. um, It's Wendy Sanford, S-A-N-F-O-R-D, hyphen, thesewallsbetweenus.com. And you can find out my favorite page is the page on Mary's very humane work in corrections at a time when corrections were just turning towards punishment, no rehabilitation, long sentences, mass incarceration. She was right there at that cusp fighting for rehab, for rehabilitation, fighting for humane treatment of incarcerated people. So I love that page that kind of traces some of her work there. That is beautiful, and thank you for making us that much more aware of it. Yeah, thank you for asking. You're so welcome. And again, thank you so much for taking time with us this morning, Wendy Sanford. Thank you, Kate. It's been so wonderful, and I trust beneficial to each and every one. Yes, thank you so much, Kate.